Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. During the season of Christmas, what we're doing now is we're celebrating Christmas. With Isaiah. We're still with Isaiah, but no longer waiting for Christmas, but celebrating Christmas with Isaiah. Um, Christmas is a 12 day celebration. So don't drag the tree out just yet. You say, well, it's already in the ditch. Well, okay, but uh, we, we leave ours up to, to Epiphany. See, it's, it's 12 days from December 25th. Through January 5th. Next Sunday is still Christmas. It's the 12th day of Christmas next Sunday. And then January 6th is Epiphany. So Christmas is, is not over. Uh, it's, a lo- it's, a, it's a 12-day feast. You say, my gosh, if I feast for 12 days, I'll gain 10 pounds. That's what Lent is for, see? We're, we're, it's, it's all going to work out. We've thought this through, you see. Well, today is only the fifth day of, uh, of Christmas, uh, so I'm going to preach a sermon called On the Fifth Day of Christmas. Why not? It's the fifth day of Christmas. That'll be the sermon titled On the Fifth Day of Christmas. Now, in one of his final songs, Isaiah sings of God's faithful love and mercy toward Israel. Isaiah says this about Yahweh. He became their heir. He became their savior. It was no messenger or angel, but he personally saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. What's happening here is that Isaiah is looking back on the history of Israel and God's covenant of faithfulness toward Israel. Isaiah stresses how God is personally committed to the salvation of Israel. And even though angels figure prominently in the salvation history of Israel, if you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of angels show up a lot of the time. Isaiah here says that it was no messenger or angel, but that Yahweh personally saved them. Now... Like it was in, how many, how, many, how many of you were here last Sunday? We talked about the, the Emmanuel prophecy. How in the years, around the year 735 B.C., uh, Isaiah has a prophecy for Ahaz. Ahaz all freaked out. He's afraid that they're about to be invaded by uh, their two northern neighbors And he says, no, look, here's the sign. Behold, the young woman, probably Ahaz's wife, is with child. And by the time she gives birth, you won't have to worry about that. The threat will be nullified. And so call this baby Emmanuel because God is with us. God is on our side. But as it turns out, Isaiah had said far more than he ever dreamed. And after Christ is born, the early Christians look back and they go, oh, Oh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel because God is really with us now. So as we saw last week, how in the Emmanuel prophecy, Isaiah said far more than what he was aware of. So this thing, it happens again today. 
We're in Isaiah 63, and it talks about how God will personally save them. Not just send a messenger or, uh, or an angel, but that God will personally uh, save them. Well, even though he doesn't really understand it, Isaiah is hinting at incarnation. That God will become one of us that he might personally save us. So let's, let's go for just a moment. Let's go now to those uh, fields just outside of Bethlehem on the night that Jesus was born. And we're told that in that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So it's true that Christmas is a 12-day one day is not sufficient to celebrate what it means that, that God has come to us as one of us, as Emmanuel, that Christ is born. Uh, one day is not sufficient to celebrate that. So it's a 12-day feast. But the truth is, if I say to most of us, you know, if I say the 12 days of Christmas, we don't probably think about the Christmas calendar or the, the church calendar. We, we think about that Christmas carol. On the first day of Christmas, my true love, right? And uh, it's, it's, it's this song, you know, about this carol about a true love giving gifts throughout the 12 days of Christmas. It's mostly birds. I don't know if you've noticed that. Lots of birds. It's like, there's, you, you all know the first one, a partridge in a pear tree. And then there's, I don't know, that, I really don't know. There's, there's, there's turtle doves, there's French hens calling birds. Uh, geese Elaine, swans are swimming. Turkeys and chickens and... and uh, Maybe there's not. Maybe there's not. I don't know. If there's tur- turkeys and chickens. There's in my house. So, uh, but everybody for sure knows what what the fifth day of Christmas. What what the true love give on the fifth day of Christmas? You just gonna say it? Yeah. Come on, sing it. Don't just say it. Like, oh, that's very good. Very good. And if you think about it, you know, if you've just been getting some birds. <laughs> And then all of a sudden you get five, not one, five gold. He's like, dang, that's why you sing that part different. You know, I got a chicken, I got a turkey, I got legs, I got geese laying. Five golden rings. So that's because it's, that's a big deal. On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me five golden rings. Well, on the fifth day of Christmas, maybe, maybe, maybe I can be your true love. Maybe I can be your true love. Because I want to give you five golden rings. Hmm. Or maybe, maybe that's one way of thinking about it. I'll try for that to be true. But also, you know, we're told here, it says, uh, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. I had some things to say. Uh, maybe I can be an angel. Come on now, the book of Revelation calls pastors angels. So I'm going to be your true love. I'm going to be your angel today. I'm going to give you five gold rings. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you some really good things. Because when the angel appeared to the shepherds, he gave them 
I would say he gave them five golden rings in his Christmas announcement. And on the fifth day of Christmas, 2019, I want to make the same announcement and give you five golden rings because the five announcements, these five Christmas announcements ring true. And they are for you. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about these are the five golden rings. Fear not, good news, great joy, all people, a Savior. Let's look at these here. Here's, here's ring number one. You ready? Ring number one. Fear not. Fear not. That's your first gold ring. Put it on your finger there. Fear not. Of course, this is what angels always say. Virtually, you cannot have an angel show up in the Bible without the first thing they say is, fear not. It just seems like that's what heaven has to say to earth. It's as if heaven looks upon earth and says, oh, earth. I got to tell you, the first thing I got to tell you is don't be afraid. Fear not. This is what... This is what heaven has to say to earth. That's why angels are always telling people, don't be afraid. Fear, and I, here I mean fear as, as a pervasive anxiety. Fear belongs as a pervasive anxiety. I'm not talking about, about the, just the moment of sudden present physical danger. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. I'm talking about uh, the pervasive anxiety that so many of us carry around with us so much of the time. That's the kind of fear we're talking about. And that fear belongs to the future. You are anxious about what might happen. What will be the prognosis? Will there be enough money? How's this situation going to turn out? Am I going to lose my job? Or is this marriage going to fall apart? It, just, but it's all off there into the future. It hasn't happened yet. But as you, as you try to prognosticate about the future, as you contemplate the future, as you look toward the future, you're... Ooh. So fear as a pervasive anxiety pertains to the future. But here's what I want to tell you. The future belongs to God, not to your fear. You don't know your future. God does. God knows your future and says to you, fear not. What you fear happening is hardly ever as bad as you imagine it to be. First of all, what you fear happening may never happen in the first place. Or second, uh, what you fear happening may happen, but it's almost never as bad as you think it's going to be. In fact, sometimes, not all the time, I don't mean this, but sometimes what you fear happening happens, and after a little while you figure out, that was actually a good thing. How many of you have ever had something happen to you that you were afraid was going to happen, and when it happened you thought it was bad, but a little while later you went, that was a good thing. I'm glad I went through that. That was good. That brought me to a better place. That's the kind of stuff that God understands, and that's why he says to you, fear not. Well, the main reason the angel tells you, remember, I'm your angel today. The main reason that the angel tells you not to fear is because God is with you. That's the main thing. 
God is with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with us. So, so maybe the thing you are afraid of, maybe it will happen. Maybe it will be bad. But the one thing I know for sure, because I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know how bad it'll be. I do know this. No matter what happens, God is with you. God is with you. God will be with you through every moment of it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm still going to fear no evil. Not because it isn't bad and it isn't hard, but because God is with me. Jesus is my shepherd, and he's going to be with me. And so I can, I can receive that gold ring on the fifth day of Christmas and say, I, I will fear not. I'll, I'll just say no. I'll say no. I, I sense that fear come. I say, no, I'm going to fear not because God is with me. This is the thing that I would tell my younger self. People ask me this they say, what would you tell your, because, you know, I've been doing this for a long time now. And people say, well, what would you tell your younger self? I'm 60. What if I could go back 40 years and, and find 20-year-old BZ? <laughs> I just, I probably, I just first I'd laugh. <laughs> you have no idea. But, I, you know, there, there's things I could try to tell my 20-year-old self. That my 20-year-old self is not going to hear. He can't hear it. No, there's no, there will be no sense of me yelling at my 20-year-old self. He's going to have to go through the... You, you can only hear something when you can hear it when you're ready to hear it. And sometimes you have to go through a lot of, you know, tenderizing. And so... But the one thing I know I would tell... This is the one thing I know I would say to my 20-year-old self. I would say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Which would not mean, it would not be 60-year-old self saying to 20-year-old BZ, nothing bad's going to ever happen. That's not, no. What it is, is it's me saying, don't be afraid because it's going to be all right. You're going to make it. You'll be okay. Don't waste your life living in fear about that which hasn't even happened. Fear not. That's the first gold ring. Wear that ring. Fear not, for behold, I bring you. What's the angel bringing? Good news or glad tidings if you're King James folks out there. Because Luke 2 sounds good in King James. I got to admit that. But we'll say good news. Good news. Second ring, good news. Well, the gospel is the story of Jesus. And the story of Jesus is good news. I mean, come on, before the story of Jesus, anything else, it's good news. If you tell the story of Jesus and it doesn't sound to people like good news, try again. <laughs> because it really is good news. Um, I'll even go so far to say as if just the basic average person doesn't hear it as good news, it's not the gospel. So maybe you need to reevaluate how it is you are talking about what you call the gospel. Certainly we don't lead with bad news. The angel doesn't come and says, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people, that you lie under the wrath of God and you're on your way to hell. <laughs> that, that's not good news. 
That would just leave you sore afraid. Sore afraid. Now we preach good news, and we don't need to use a carrot and stick. We don't use the, need to use a bad cop, good cop routine. God hates you, angry, about ready. He's dangling you over the pit, ready to throw you in hell. But here's the good news. First, the bad news. God's about fed up with you, but the good news is Jesus is going to work out a deal. No, don't, don't preach the gospel like that. If we can't preach the gospel without making misunderstood, it's almost always misunderstood, threats of post-mortem hell, then at least I know this much, we don't know how to preach the gospel as the apostles preach the gospel. Because you go to the book of Acts and you find the eight times that they are recorded as preaching sermons announcing the good news of Jesus Christ, they never make appeals to afterlife issues. Their announcement is mostly like this. Whoo, got good news. The promises have been fulfilled and God has given us his own king. God has given us a new emperor. This emperor forgives all of our sins and now this kingdom is coming among us. Come on and be a part of it. That's basically the announcement they had to make. So everyone knows, really everyone knows that the world has gone wrong. I mean, of course we do. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on that. I mean, almost everyone looks around and goes, yeah, something's gone wrong here. The bad news is already, the bad news is already present. We look around and we go, yeah, something's gone, something's gone wrong somewhere with this race of beings called human. Does it, it why? It's, it wouldn't seem like it would have to be like this unless something tragic had gone wrong. People know that. The good news is that God so loves the world that he's done something about it. And he's done something about it in his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. This is the good news. So again, I'm thinking about, you know, looking back in a long journey. I, I really had an encounter with Jesus when I was 15 I grew up, you know, in a milieu of knowing about Jesus and all of that, but, but had a real encounter with Jesus when I was 15 that just, like that, changed my life. That was 45 years ago. Here's the thing. If I, if I look back over 45 years of deliberately, intentionally trying to follow Jesus and trying to understand what his message is, trying to understand what it means that the Word became flesh, lived among us, proclaimed the kingdom of God, died, was buried rose on the third day, ascended to heaven. Uh, here's what I've known. Here's what, here's what I've learned. Here's what I've, I can say. That after 45 years, the news continues to get progressively better. I mean, what I thought was good news, and it was good news 45 years ago, is better today. It's only gotten better. I mean, as I, as I have stayed on the journey trying to understand God as revealed in Christ, I keep, I keep thinking, yeah, it's better than I thought. And I always thought it was good news. But I think it's even better. Some things are too good to be true. One thing is too good not to be true. And that's the story of Jesus Christ. It's good news. There's your second ring. Go ahead and put it on. Okay, fear not, for behold, I bring you... Good news of what? Great joy. Hmm. For years now, I've been fascinated 
with um, trying to understand what the early church was like. I mean, what would it be like to be in Ephesus or Alexandria or Damascus or Jerusalem or Rome during those first two or three centuries? Finding some Christians on a Sunday morning. What, what was it like? And I, I just, I just am intrigued by that. And so that's why I, I've been helped by people like Larry Hurtado and Alan Kreider and Robert Louis Wilkin, David Bentley Hart, N.T. Wright, and others. And here's one thing that, I mean, just after really being in that, one of the most outstanding characteristics of the early Christians was their almost ludicrous joy. They really were a joyful people. And it, it, it mystified the Romans. They, they couldn't figure out, they almost thought it was somewhat unseemly how happy these people were, how joyful they were. And it didn't seem to make much sense to them, but apparently it made sense to those that experienced that, and it's part of what made them attractive, is that they were truly a joyful people. Now, we live in an age right now, in a modern age, where, and, and Rene Girard explains why this is so, but I'm not going to go into that. But we live in an age where people compete for victim status. People want to be the victim. No, no, I'm the victim here. Even the most powerful people in the world do this. People who have all manner of power and privilege. I'm the victim here. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you right now. The early Christians would never have played that game. And sometimes they were what you would call the victim. Remember, the early Christians were often persecuted. And yet, they never said, well, we're the victims here. They never said that. In fact, the writer of Hebrews describing these early Christians in the first generation said, You received cheerfully the confiscation of your goods, knowing that you have a better and lasting possession. Uh, you know, that's, who are these people that received joyfully, cheerfully? Oh, did you hear? They took my refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, because I'm a Christian. Woo! Doesn't even touch my joy because I have something so much better that nobody can ever confiscate from me. Now that may seem silly to you or that may seem like that's uh, overly pious or, or, or not living with her in reality. Yet that's how they lived. The Apostle Paul talks about this. He says on the one hand, he says, we are like sheep led to the slaughter. Remember the Apostle Paul, I mean, he, you know, five times beaten with rods, three times stoned, you know, all of these things, and, and shipwrecks, and arrested, and eventually he will be executed. And he talks about the situation that early Christians are in. He says, we are like sheep led to the slaughter. And that's true, except then he says, no, no, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so they just refused to go down that path of saying, we're going to identify ourselves as victims. They just wouldn't do it. 
and they were characterized by great joy. So in our calendar, in our church calendar, we tell the gospel story with Advent, waiting for Christ, and Lent, the journey to the cross. With, with our Christian calendar, we tell the story with Advent and Lent, but the truth is we live in Christmas and Easter. That's where, that's where we live right now. We are living in Christmas and Easter. So go ahead and deck the halls and all of that. And go ahead and give yourself permission to be joyful and say, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to continue to think of myself as a victim. Yeah, I've been through stuff and I've been mistreated at times and bad things, bad things have happened. But the truth is, I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Because I know that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other created thing in all the world shall be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. How can I be a victim? That's a gold ring right there. So, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Who's it for? All people. All people. Go ahead and put that gold ring on. All people. God called Abraham. And God chose Israel. Chosen people. That... Ultimately, all of those promises to the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, seed of Abraham, son of David. God calls Abraham and he chooses Israel, makes a covenant with Abraham and David, all so that that can all lead up to Jesus the Messiah that then opens this up to all people. God called Abraham and chose Israel that in Christ he might call and choose the whole world. That's why we said that in Christ the chosen people is the human race. And the holy land is the whole earth. I mean, Perry and I, we like going to what we call the holy land because, because of its historic connection with Jesus and what that does for us to be in those places. But the truth is the whole world now is the holy land of God. And every person belongs to the chosen people of God. Part of what makes the good news truly good news is that it's for everyone. Yes. I mean, if, if it wasn't for... If it wasn't for every, you know, I got good news for you that are lucky. You that are elect, you that are chosen. Uh, so, some, some streams of theology confuse the election of Israel for a vocation with the election of the individual for salvation. No, all the purposes of God and election are fulfilled in Christ that salvation might be opened up for the whole world. And so to me, to me, I don't know about you, to me it just wouldn't be good news if I say, well, I have just great glorious news that God is doing for some of you. for all people. And so we joyfully proclaim the good news of Jesus to everyone because it is for everyone. Now, there are always going to be some like the Pharisees who prefer a religion of exclusion because, because they're, I don't know, something's gone wrong. They need help. They need a good spiritual director. And they, they need to feel special somehow by 
believing that they belong to an elite group from which most people are excluded. There's always going to be that kind, but we're going to pray for them and help them. Uh, but let me just say this. If, God, if the idea of God choosing and loving the whole world, loving everyone, makes you mad and sad, well, you'll just have to go ahead and be mad and sad, but your madness and sadness is your own fault. You don't have to be mad and sad about that. You can say, no, this is good news for everybody, for all people. Put that ring on, and then we've got one more ring. This is the best one. This gold ring might have a diamond in it. A Savior. A Savior. Fear not, good news, great joy, all people. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Yes, the good news is the story of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And salvation comes from heaven. We can't save ourselves. Salvation comes from heaven for all, but it comes to earth. It comes from heaven for all, but it comes to earth through a particular person at a particular point in time. It's Jesus. Jesus. As Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. Now, it's for the whole world, but it comes through a very specific line. That's why both Matthew and Luke open their gospel accounts by giving us a genealogy of Jesus. That Jesus is not, that God's salvation doesn't come in some sort of generic Christ principle. Some sort of uh, amorphous, vague, general, represental kind of... No, God's salvation comes to us through what some theologians call the scandal of particularity. That the salvation of God comes at a particular point in time through a very specific person with a specific ethnicity and, and a genealogy and all of that. God's salvation comes, I mean, this, this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger will grow up as a Galilean Jew in the first decades of the first century under Roman occupation, a very historical person at one particular point in time. But it's through that particular point in time, piercing history, that God begins to flood the world with his salvation. Salvation doesn't come by an abstract Christ principle, but by a particular person, the person of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel is a real, historic person. Christ, don't, don't, don't make this mistake. I hear people do this. You know, Jesus, there's Jesus and there's Christ. There's Jesus, and, but then Christ. Christ simply means Messiah. It doesn't mean anything other than that. Messiah means the anointed king. The, Christ is Jesus of Nazareth. Not something else. It wasn't that Jesus was something, and then later on he, he became Christ. That's, that's, like, that's, that's terrible theology. Don't do that. The salvation of God for the whole world comes through a very specific, historic person, Jesus the Messiah of Nazareth, who was among us as one of us and walked on dusty roads wearing sandals, and he is, he is very God, a very God, but he's also fully human. So he walks on water, but he also sits by the well weary. 
They call it a scandal of particularity that some people are offended that God, when he acted, acted not just in a general vague way, but in a very, very specific way. They call it the scandal of particularity because it offends some people. It doesn't offend me because it's Jesus that captured my heart. Uh, my entryway into all of this is not, is not just some sort of amorphous, vague concept of God's general design of goodness for the universe, but through Jesus, a specific person in time. And so I see the salvation of God as universal for the whole world because it is so, but it enters into the world specifically through one particular person, Jesus. And, and the one thing I still am 45 years on is a Jesus freak. Jesus is what got me into this thing. Jesus is what's going to keep me in this thing. I know all about all the problems of Christianity. The good news is there's always been problems. The church has never had a golden age. It's never had its act together. The church is always a disaster. It's always falling apart, but it always has Jesus. So that, that's, that's what got me into this. That's what keeps me in this is because in the midst of all this, that, that's the golden ring with the diamond in it. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. I can't save myself. I'm, I know that. I'm aware, and I know the world can't save itself. I'm aware of that. You know, I'm not waiting for, you know, well, maybe, maybe this party, maybe the Whigs or maybe the Tories will come up with a plan and save the world. We need a solution. We need some salvation. Let's send some people to the moon and gather information. Bonus points for those that know what that is. See, I, I, I didn't plan that. It just, they just come. I, I have hope for the world because the world has a Savior and His name is Jesus. Amen. I have hope for me in my life because I have a Savior and His name is Jesus. I have hope for you in your life, in your particular situation. I have hope for you because Jesus is a Savior. Five gold rings. Fear not. Good news, great joy, all people, and then the gold ring with a diamond and a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Stand up with me. And let's, let's come to Jesus by coming to his table. Let's come to Jesus that he might give us his gifts on the fifth day of Christmas. That he might give us bread and wine that communicate his body and blood that communicate to us eternal life. Everyone is invited. Everyone is invited. Don't, don't stay there and say, well, well, I'm not invited. You're invited. Well, I'm not sure that God wants me. God wants you. I'm not sure that Jesus will accept me. He'll accept you. Yeah, but I've never done this before. Jesus, I'm waiting. Come and let Jesus give you the gift that is communicated through the bread and wine of his flesh and blood. Amen.